Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Goddess Podcast Project with your hosts, myself, Dr. Andrea Goldmarks, Jennifer Davis-Page, and Bibi Peters. This podcast aims to ignite inspiration in primetime women by creating a super learning community, a safe space for all women to contribute their voices and visions. For more information on this episode and to learn more, visit us at boomgoddessradio.com. Hey, well, welcome. I'm here, and uh, this is BB Peters with Dr. Andrea Gould and Jennifer Davis Page on a beautiful October 1st day with so much renewal and openness and curiosity going on in our lives what are what are you up to dr andrea i was kind of on overload actually (laughs) just you know in in the short term and it also um is um synchronized with the fact that it's a jewish holiday it's a jewish new year and so there is like we spoke about last time a time for reflection like a commitment really to use this time for reflection and so i'm kind of working my way into that and looking forward to savoring that time because we need to set the intention to do that. It, we, it's it's a form of self-care. It is for sure. And Miss uh, Jennifer? I had two, two stories that made me smile this week. Hmm. One, one story that made me smile is a, an interesting voting story. In Iowa, they had early voting this week. And there was a 103-year-old woman, all right, who voted for the first time. She was able to vote for the first time for FDR. And she, has, she talked about living long enough to be able to vote for a woman. And it just so happened that Hillary was in town. And... The two of them had the biggest hug and kiss you've ever seen. She had a walker that had a a, a, a a Hillary sticker on it. It was just so precious. And I want to give a shout out to her. I want to give out, she's 103 years old. Her name is Ruline Stanginger. And she was just precious. They asked her why she was doing to do an early voting. She says, I'm 103. I better do it as soon as I can. That's she was just story. she was just wonderful. So I want to give a shout out to her and, and congratulate her. Just to see her 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 fragile hands dropping that ballot in that box just gave me chills. So it it, it was marvelous. The other story that that was Wait, I just want to say before you go there, you know, it's the beauty of longevity. To be able to have that long-term perspective, we don't even know what it would be for us. You know, we might be on Mars, you know, <laughs> if we live that long. You're going to Mars. I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going with you. I'll go any place with you, to, with you ladies. But Mars, I'm not going. Um, second story. The second story was um, the king, this didn't make me smile, but a part of it did. The uh, The king of golf died this week, Arnold Palmer. At, and he was the one man when I saw him play years, years forever, years, years, years ago, got me interested in the game of golf. And I I was just um, looking at the stories, and they did such wonderful salutes to him. And um, 
I was talking to a young woman, a young woman, like 19 years old, and I said, you know, to her, just in general conversation, I said, oh my goodness, she said, you know, Arnold Palmer died today. She said, the iced tea man? <laughs> so what can I tell you, these young people, all, all the wonderful work, all the years that Arnie played, and the only thing she knew was, the iced tea man had died. Oh, that's so sweet and so cute. Well, mine has to do with uh, fueling, fueling my two co-hosts with a wonderful bowl, a vegetarian bowl of deliciousness that included uh, quinoa and greens and wonderful dressing. And we had the best time um, um, enjoying that. And it came from the internet of all places. So learning and growing and experimenting is such a treat. And sharing. And sharing and sharing. Absolutely. It was absolutely delicious. I mean, just when you put it in your mouth, the freshness of everything that you had in that bowl just popped. It was marvelous. And nourishing. And that sesame oil. Carrots. and Just to add delicious so keep up the good work bb you can feed us anytime (laughs) okay and we can post that that recipe on our facebook page yes yes absolutely it's actually already there so so excited about that and so in the midst of all the chaos and all the things that pull us in other directions the way we ground ourselves is really so important because once we're grounded then we can be receptive to whatever we want to get into next And I don't know if it's October or if it's the guest that we have that is coming up, but our energy level and our blood, I feel, is boiling at a higher point. And so I can't wait for us to dive in and talk to Martha Vasquez, a former TV news anchor woman for a major TV station here in Tucson, and her amazing and brilliant story uh, that went from feeling vanquished to victorious. We can't wait to talk about this. Let's do it. Uh, Martha, please, again, every woman has a story. Please, (laughs) please tell us yours from the beginning, if you will. Well, mine is a, mine is a pretty simple story or it sounded, it started that way anyway. Um, I was born here in Tucson uh, to a much older couple. Um, I had a brother that was a couple of years older than I was, and we had a pretty normal family life. But then my father passed away when I was seven years old, and that sort of turned our lives upside down because, as it was, he owned a very little store, a very small shop where La Placita is now. And, uh, you know, it was kind of making ends meet and, and just, you know, it was not, we were not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. I don't even think we were middle class by any stretch of the imagination. But we made it through with what dad sold at the store. And then he passed away and there was no income. So then my mother, brother, and I were literally plunged into poverty. And we lived with relatives for many years until I was old enough to um, start to think about solutions to the problem so that we didn't have to live with relatives. My mother was a woman who had never worked, had an eighth-grade graduation, uh, uh, eighth-grade education. And so she really, you know, she'd always been a homemaker and a wonderful mother and kept a beautiful home, clean, and food was delicious, but she never worked outside the home. So 
when I was old enough, I started investigating things that we could do so that we could have our own place. And then at that point, I was about 15 years old, and my brother passes away. And so it left, he was 17 and I was 15, and that left my mom and I. And unfortunately, my mother was never the same. I didn't understand it at the time because I hadn't had any children of my own. But now I realize that losing a child is the most devastating thing that can happen to a human. Uh, and so she kind of was emotionally unavailable from that point on. So I literally had to kind of um, not raise myself, but kind of fend for myself. And, and I quickly realized that education was going to be the, the component that set me free, that would allow me to escape the situation we were in and make a better life for myself. So um, I quickly uh, got several jobs while I was in high school, and I um, basically uh, started getting really good grades and doing well in school because I knew that the only way I was going to go to college was through a scholarship. And I did get one, and I went to the U of A and graduated with a degree in media arts and got my first job at uh, the CBS station in Tucson right out of college. And it was a wonderful experience. It was a, just a fabulous job. I, I believe it was the golden years of journalism when reporters really went after stories and news operations were about real news and journalism. And, and I had a wonderful bunch of wonderful colleagues and great boss. And so I flourished in television. And I lasted. I, I made it through 35 years on the air in Tucson, which is a long time for... Uh, for a journalist, and I knew this was home. It wasn't a stepping stone for me like it is for a lot of people that come to Tucson to work on TV. They're just using it as a a, a slot on the resume. But I knew this was going to be home for me, and so I made it a point to get involved in the community and really um, get to know my community and do everything I could to uh, to help the station that I worked for be the best it could be. What what year oh, was that, Martha? What year was it that you got your first CBS job here in Tucson? Nineteen seventy-seven. They must have found you very talented because at that time, women and it was it was rare to get one of those wonderful jobs. Um, exactly, right well, out of college. I, yeah, I always tell people that I was at the right place at the right time because you're right. There weren't a lot of women on TV, and there certainly weren't many Hispanic women on TV. So I felt like I was, uh, you know, I was, I was lucky and I, and I knew it and I, I would have worked for free. I never wanted them to know that, but I would have worked for free. I loved it. Martha, I really, I, I want to comment on that, on your passion there for a moment. And to go back to the choice that you had, I didn't catch the name of the college, but the offer was... University of Arizona. Oh, U of A. Okay. And yeah. um, the, of course, and the um, choice of media arts, I personally, as a psychologist, I'm very interested in the choice choosing process. In other words, when a call uh, um, is so strong, 
because you have that vein of gold, I can hear it, that the passion is pretty specific. And life really cooperated with you after it had dumped you, you know, and, and put you in a surprising yeah. situation. So there you go, you know, pulled by your passion and pushed you know, by real motivation, you had to do it. You didn't really have a choice because you're a realist. Right. So you right. do that. So the point in this, you, you bring us to this point where you chose media arts. I'm a little interested, a lot interested in that choice point. Could you say a little yeah. something about that? Well, you know, I had I had been going to the University of Arizona seeking a public administration degree. Um, I didn't really, you know, I, I just knew that education was the key. I didn't, when I left high school, I really had no idea. I really wanted to be a veterinarian because I love animals. But I quickly realized that I would be banging my head against the wall because I didn't really have the passion for science that you need to have in veterinary medicine. And so I I realized, I, I quickly assessed what my strengths were. My strengths were writing, curiosity, um, my personality, um, uh, my outgoingness, my ability to be able to speak to all different walks of life. And so I, I uh, was working out at a old Tucson, you know, doing some, some uh, ticket sales out there. And someone said to me, have you ever thought about television or radio? You have such a beautiful, deep voice for a woman. And I said, no, I never thought about that. And they said, well, look into it, because I think that you'd be really good at that. So I started taking some courses when I went back to school that fall, and I was a junior then, and I loved it. And I loved writing, I loved speaking, I loved um, just the whole um, community service aspect of journalism, helping people to know what's going on in their community so that they can be better informed and make better decisions with the ballot box. You said that so, so beautifully. I mean, that's so important, that whole flow. We're really um, excited to be talking with you because our mission is to help women in particular, but men and women really connect with how it is that life unfolds. And yes. so something impacts us from the outside, but generally speaking, from the beginning, something is swelling up and looking to bloom from the inside. We're not happy mm -hmm. campers if we don't bloom. We're really not, yes. you know. Yes. So uh, your yeah, your story is so important because the strengths that you have, that we have as people, aren't always so first visible to ourselves. It takes some random person to come along and say, "Have you ever thought about radio?" Because you get seen, and that's yes. like the magic of becoming is being seen. So um, I really thank you for this portion of the story. It is so relatable. And so please do uh, continue with your path. Uh, you are at U of A. You've graduated. You've landed this amazing job that fits your yeah. soul and your spirit. And then what? So I continue on for, um, gosh, uh, wow, almost, what, 30 years? 20 years, 20 years, just uh, really loving what I do, reporting, producing, eventually getting uh, the chance to sit at the anchor desk and be the anchor, 
And in the meantime, I've had a daughter, and so that's important to me to have a little bit more stability in my life so that I, if I needed to deal with my daughter during the day, I would have the freedom as opposed to being out in the field like a reporter, you know, at a crime scene or something and not being able to get away. So that was important to me. And so I continued to do what I loved, which was reporting and and uh, help doing a lot of community service, reading to kids all over the city of Tucson during Love of Reading Week and also doing career fairs all over town because I really believe that if you inspire young people to reach for the stars or at least to know about careers that they may not even be familiar with, that's how people, you know, break out of what, you know, they've known all their lives. I mean, if somebody, I don't know that I would have been a journalist if someone hadn't said to me, you have a great voice, you really should look into radio or television and when I did, what took me there, which was my voice, ended up being the least of the interest I had. It was about everything journalism was. So I try to tell kids, you know, don't think that, that you have to be the nurse because you can be the doctor. And don't think you can, you know, you have to be the paralegal. Not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, but always dream big because you can do it if you put your mind to it. In 1977, Martha, when you started, were you the only woman on air uh, at that station? Oh, no, 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 no. No, already there had been women on the air. Sue Green was on the air. Patty Weiss was on the air here. Um, Marie Fraysdorf had been on the air before those two. So there were a few, but there weren't a lot. And I don't know, and maybe Leila Catan, who is a Spanish language uh, uh, talk show host and had a show in Tucson for years, Hispanic Cuban lady. Um, she, I don't know when she started her show, but she may have been the first Hispanic woman on the air in Tucson. But um, I've, but I'm not sure. Lupita Murillo has been on the air for a long time. Barbara Guijalva. So bottom line is that, you know, I don't know that uh, I was the first Hispanic, but I was one of the first. Okay. One of the other things that's so fascinating is, again, how things impact us from the outside, like you said, the the daughter became the priority. And so I'm looking at this through the lens of resiliency, obviously. I mean, I know where this conversation is going to some extent, but I really want to illuminate the ingredients, the seeds of resiliency, because ultimately you your strength, your aspiration, all of your strengths that you've been letting us know about in your story, um, it's so important that, uh, that our listeners identify with all the different strengths and how they can be brought to our attention through life. Yeah, so please Thank do go on, so yes, do go on and tell us more how your story unfolded. Okay, so um, as I was getting uh, close to being 50 years old, I uh, started to, uh, Patty Weiss was still at Channel 4, but she was getting ready to retire. And so I um, had hoped that I would ultimately get to have the main anchor position, female anchor position at KVOA. But, you know, that didn't happen. Uh, I think that I certainly had the following and I had the experience, but I think they were looking for someone much younger. 
and I was already 50, and they were looking to replace Patty with someone who could be there for 20, 30 years. And not that I couldn't have, but I don't think they were looking at my age group. And so I wasn't even offered the job, and that really that really hurt my feelings, uh, to say the least, and upset me and sort of soured me to um, the situation where I was working. But I plugged along because that's what I did. Um, I learned my work ethic from my parents. Even though my mother never worked outside the home, she took in ironing and baby took care of other people's children. And so, and she was always prompt and there and caring. And my dad went to work until the day he died. And so I knew that even though I had, I'd been passed over for a promotion, uh, I had to continue to plug along and do my best. And I did for another 10 years or not even eight years. So come, come, uh, I was about 58 years old at the time. I had had about eight years of really, um, feeling unappreciated, starting to feel not only unappreciated, but depreciated at work. Uh, I was no longer being featured in any kind of promotional materials, which kind of, when you see those commercials on, on television, they're selling the anchor team to you. In fact, I was no longer included in those anymore, which is a dead giveaway that at some point they're going to ask you to leave because they're starting to phase you out. And so I started to get very depressed about that and started to feel very badly about myself. My self-confidence, my self-esteem was getting pretty shaky. And um, uh, at the same time, my husband, who I adore and is just the most wonderful physician in the world, you know, if you're married to a doctor, he's married to medicine. And so he was gone all the time. He's a surgeon, and so he was on call all the time, working very hard, um, helping a lot of people, but he was gone and unavailable to me. So my daughter had now grown up and not living in Arizona anymore. My mother had passed away. Uh, I had taken care of her since the day, since her last day on earth, but she had now died. My husband was working all the time. I was really being devalued at work, and I felt slowly phased out and not really seen but not heard. And I was sinked to a very deep, deep depression that nobody knew about, not even the people at work. I slowly started to separate myself from my friends at work and my friends outside of work. I started to isolate myself at home. I didn't want to go anywhere, do anything. All I wanted to do was be with my two dogs, sitting on the couch, watching TV and eating and crying. And I just sank lower and lower. And then one day, um, it all came to a head. Well, uh, it was a Saturday, and uh, February 2012. And I was, uh, had nothing to do all day. I had so isolated myself from everything that I really, nobody had invited me to anything. I didn't have the wherewithal to do anything on my own. I was really, if you know anything about depression, it is a paralyzing disease. And so uh, I just uh, woke up and my dear friend called me and said, hey, what are you doing? I said, nothing. She said, let's go to the Mexican game. I said, Okay. So I went to the basketball game with her and felt relieved that I had something to do. 
And then afterwards, she said, oh, she said, let's go see a movie. And I said, okay. So we went to see a movie. And then at that point, it was about 6.30 in the evening, and, and she said, well, you know, I'll see you. And she goes home, and I'm thinking, and I'm going to go home to nothing because my husband was in Phoenix uh, visiting with his mom, who was elderly, and he went up there twice a month to see her. And this time he took the dogs with him because he thought it would give me a break from taking care of the dogs. He did it with good intention, but in fact, he took the only thing that was keeping me grounded, keeping me at from from disintegrating, which was caring for the dogs. So I sat there at the movie theater, and I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? I don't want to go home. There's nothing there. And so I thought, I'm just going to the mall. And so I went to the mall, and I walked around for probably an hour and a half. I bought a pair of shoes. I bought uh, something else. I don't know, maybe some lipstick. And then I shoplifted a top and some earrings. And I walked out of the store, and the security guard came after me, and he said, excuse me, but did you know that you have these items in your bag? And at that point, I thought I could say, oh, darn it, I'm sorry. You know, look, I bought these other shoes and stuff. I guess I just meant to pay for them, and I forgot. I'll just go back in. And God knows I had some money, a credit card, cash, whatever. But it was like, it was for me that moment where I could end it all. I could, I knew I would be fired at work because that's totally unacceptable behavior. And so I just said, yes, I do know that I have them in there. And the guard said, well, were you planning on taking them? And I said, I think I was, yes. That is that, so I, dramatic. I mean, that moment is so it was, dramatic. It was, it was the it was the moment, the defining moment in about a decade of feeling so badly and feeling so unappreciated, depreciated, unwanted, uh, unneeded, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the and image, so, the, the image yeah. that comes to mind is like, you know, slowly like lowering down uh, from a cliff into an abyss a little at a time. And then finally mm -hmm. saying, you know what, I just surrender. Yeah. And for me, it was like, <clears throat> we talk, we, we see this a lot in news, the suicide by cop, where people don't have the, um, the strength or the courage to kill themselves. So they confront a police officer and let him shoot them. They pull a gun. They let him shoot them. So that way the police officer ends it. They don't have to do it themselves. And that's kind, and that's kind of what I did. I just, I let someone in else end my career. What was, the, what was the next step after you told the security guard that, yes, I do believe that I meant to take them? What happens next? Oh, I, I, I was taken back into the store, and uh, it was a Saturday night, so, you know, the, the police certainly have better things to do than to come and deal with a shoplifter, but so I waited until the store closed, and then eventually a couple of nice officers came by, and they gave me a citation and uh, told me that I would needed to appear in court, and so I, I left the store. And, and I remember the treatment from the security guard was really demeaning and mean and just, you know, kind of, he knew who I was. And so I think he kind of enjoyed what he had to do. 
anyway, so I, uh, I got out to my car and I sat in there numb and just feeling like, wow, what just happened? And what's going to happen? And how am I going to tell my husband? And how am I going to tell my daughter? And then, of course, all of Tucson will know. So the first person I called was my daughter. And I told her, and she was pretty incredulous but so supportive, and said, Mom, it happens. We're, we're going to get through this. She said, don't freak out. I, she, was living in, she was living in Los Angeles at the time, and so I not like she could run over and be with me. And then I called my husband, and, and he literally cried. And, uh, came, I, and he said, I'm driving home right now. And I said, no. I said, you're in Phoenix with your mother. She will wake up, and you're not there. You should stay there till the morning and then just kind of excuse yourself so you don't upset her. And then just come home. And I went home. And I went to sleep as best I could that night. And then in the morning, I had made arrangements to walk with my girlfriend. We walked to Mamak every morning, to Mamak Hill here in Tucson every morning. And so I thought, well, I, I always meet them, and I, there's no reason not to. So I went to the hill, and we started walking, and I told my girlfriends, and they were, like, incredulous, as was I. And then, you know, and then all hell broke loose. Yes, and then the nightmare began, right? And, yes, and how exactly. did that unfold? Well, the I went to, I called the news director in the morning, Sunday morning, and told her what had happened, and she was just beside herself, and told me that, you know, uh, uh, that I needed to come in on Monday morning, which I would have, that's what I was supposed to do anyway, but she, uh, I knew what was waiting for me. And so I was met on Monday morning by a, I, I was not allowed to go to my office. I had to go to the front office and the news director and the general manager and the station attorney and the station comptroller were all seated at the table of inquisition. And um, I was told that because of all my years of service, I would be allowed to resign to save face. But if I didn't resign, I would be fired. And I had I had brought my husband and my attorney with me because I had a feeling that I was going to try to be hoodwinked. And uh, so uh, my attorney said, well, we, we really don't want to go this route. We would prefer that she take a three to four month leave of absence, deal with her stuff, come back, and she will probably resign then anyway. She's done. But it gives us a chance to regroup, and and they said no, no, that was not going to be an opportunity, a possibility. So just either quit or be fired. Was it a new story? Was it a new story that day? Oh yes. Oh yeah, it was a new story that day. It was a new story the following day. It became a new story for a week. Uh, with uh, the Tucson Weekly, I think, breaking the story, then the newspapers picking it up. I had newspaper reporters camped at the door wanting an interview. I had a graffiti uh, person do a, a graffiti thing on the side of my house that said thief. Um, I I had, uh, you know, everybody, everybody was talking about it. I, again, was isolated. I didn't want to leave the house because, Everybody was looking at me, or so I thought. 
Martha, what protection about. What protection did you have around you at the time? In other words, did you call in those? My husband. And, and any friends? Um, my aunt was with me and my husband. I, you know, I, I was so depressed, guys, that um, I don't even remember who was around me, to be honest with you. I just remember, I know, oh, I do remember this. Uh, a friend of mine was battling uh, cancer at the time, and I had promised to go with her to her treatment. And so uh, the reason I didn't meet up with the, t- with the newspaper reporter at my front door is because I was gone to treatment with my friend to be there for her for her uh, cancer treatment. But so I continued to do that for her because I, she was really scared, and, and I had nothing to do and was kind of still in shock and numb over my situation. So I just, I just kind of went in the direction I was pointed to. That's a good description. Did you lose any girlfriends? Did you lose any women in your life that you thought were your friends? I'm sure I did. You know, I'm sure I did, but they weren't real friends anyway. Um, People who are your real friends are there for you. Um, And people who only used you as a friend because you were a celebrity quote. Um, you know, they went away and that's all right. Yeah. That's like pruning, like pruning your garden. It pruned itself. Mm -hmm. A deep freeze came and some leaves (laughs) fell off. Yeah. And my real friends are still friends and probably stronger friends. And I've weeded out a lot of the people that really weren't my friends. Can you tell about, can you tell about the decision to, uh, I was new to Tucson. I, I just kind of arrived here maybe in 2012. So I'm a good example of somebody who didn't know the story, but I'm interested in what, what I have learned is that you did, um, move to Washington state. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah. Um, I was, I was so depressed. My, uh, my husband, took me to a psychiatrist, and I got on medication, and it sort of evened out my brain chemicals and allowed me to sort of um, exist a little easier. I started um, talk therapy, and I unearthed a whole bunch of stuff from my childhood and my my youth that had issues that were never resolved. And so, therefore, had been with me all this time, and not letting me the person, not letting me be the person that I could be. And so, um, uh, in the process of doing therapy, talk therapy, and also um, being a psychiatrist and, and having medication, my husband thought it would be a good idea if we left Tucson and moved up to the Pacific Northwest, where he had the opportunity to start up surgical department for a small hospital in Washington. And so that so, was that uh, was kind of like a little blessing that came floating from the um, ethers yes, and sort of landed absolutely. in your life. And he said, here's a boat, let's yeah. get in. Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought so. Um, except that it ended up being a very isolating, kind of even more depressing situation because I knew no one up there. And... Um, it was a small little town. Not, there was not even a stoplight, believe it or not. And uh, so I ended up there for three years, pretty isolated. And, uh, you know, it just kind of deepened my depression. But 
I managed. I uh, did a lot of hiking. I did a lot of spending time with my dog. And uh, that was uh, that was living up in Washington. I it it was just a it was a difficult time because I had no contact with um, friends. They weren't close by that I could talk to. There were no family members up there. It was just me and my dogs and my husband when he was not working. Yeah, you you paint a bleak picture there, and so I'm sure that the motivation grew to take a different step in another direction. So is it there that uh, you became aware of kind of the climb out of the abyss that you were at? And then take us to the time of coming across positive changes and how that uh, altered your life. Well, you know, um, we had made a deal that we would go to Washington for three years and that, um, you know, uh, we would give this, because he had to sign a contract and, and he is, an extremely honorable man, and if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So I knew I was going for three years, but we underestimated how rural this community really was, and so it just was very isolating for me and uh, very depressing. So ultimately, I ended up um, uh, traveling back and forth to Portland, Oregon, uh, he, uh, we agreed to get an apartment in Portland, Oregon, so that I could at least go spend a few days out of the week in Portland, go to the movies, go to the theater, go shopping, see friends that I had in Portland. And so that kind of took the edge off for a very long time. Plus, I made a lot of trips back to Tucson to visit family and friends. And that's really what kept me from, from really kind of sinking. And that was about year two of the three years that I was there. It was my husband's idea. I was, uh, you know, he said, come on, let's, let's find an apartment in Portland where you can drive up. It's a two-hour drive from where we live, Portland. Beautiful drive in the Columbia River Gorge. And so um, I would do that, you know, probably on a Tuesday. I would stay Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then be home for the weekend when he was home. So it worked out all right. And, I, you know, I overcame a lot of my fears. I, one of the things that I was desperately afraid of was crossing over bridges, driving driving over bridges. And in Portland, Northwest, that's all you do is drive over bridges. So I, I forced myself, and these are some rickety little bridges, too, like chain-link fence bridge, you know, bridges you can see down into the water. Yeah. This so, is like a trial by fire. But, you know, absolutely. this is like the hero's journey, Martha, which I know you must know. Absolutely. So I just I started doing the bridges. You know, I was white-knuckling it and just... I thought I was going to die. It was so uh, uh, scary to me, but I did it. I, uh, using my GPS on my car, I got all around Portland. I really discovered a lot of that area, the suburbs of Portland, went to the beach, which was an hour from Portland, did a lot of things on my own that started giving me strength. And you were and learning so much. You were learning at learning that time. So I was learning that I could be resilient. I'd never, by the way, ladies, I'd never left Tucson. It, I, I left Tucson for a year to Phoenix for a job on TV, but I quickly came back because my mother needed me. So really, 
this was the first time that I had left the state of Arizona and really my hometown. And you know, some people say that you don't grow if you don't leave home. However, you I want think to that's ex- so true. I think that's so true. Yeah, however you want to extend the metaphor. You know, for some people it's moving to the next town and other people it's moving oh. to a new culture, a new state. But you, you, it, it's such a great story, Martha, because you're really highlighting all the ingredients that it really takes to overcome and recover yeah. and reconstitute yourself. And, and yeah. to have love in your life the way you do, to have a husband that's attentive and smart and, you know, has the, the resources in himself to navigate, yeah. you know, and the intention of your marriage, which is a pact, which is an agreement yeah. between equals. So it's such an inspiring story and so um, and illuminating for, for so many women who are listening. Martha, when you you and your husband left to go to the Northwest, did you know you were going to come back to Tucson? Was that just a... Oh, I always knew we were. Okay. And I always right. knew we were because it's my home. It's where my grandparents grew up, where my parents grew up, where I grew up, where my daughter was born. It is our home. And so I knew I was going to come back. I just didn't know how I was going to do it because I felt like I had so shamed myself so shamed my family name that, you know, it, it was, I, I just, uh, nobody beats you up like you beat yourself up. And I did a really good job. And shame is just about the most difficult layer to get through. I mean, life yes. has its adversities and things can happen from the outside, but this is yes. something that really takes you apart from the core. So okay. it's such a heroic effort to reconstitute and really, you know, re embody your whole yes. self. And so in order for that to happen, there are a lot of other things that you make out of what the offerings are and you guys you know you and your husband you really and your family you really pulled yourself back together and it's slow motion for us you know I mean I'm so interested in every step along the way because that's really what teaches other people about resilience it teaches Mm -hmm. all of us and Jennifer always says every woman has a story the elements of redemption are in the story but in a really practical way so can you share with us a little bit what were your feelings like what was your mindset upon returning to Tucson before I came back to Tucson, before I even thought about coming back to Tucson, I was sitting at home one day, and I, I on television was a commercial for a company named Positive Changes Hypnosis. And by this time, I had gained about twenty-five pounds after eating myself, you know, from the depression and just um, not caring very much about myself anymore. And so I probably saw that commercial 15 times before one day my husband was home and I asked him, I said, I respect your opinion. What do you think about this hypnosis to lose weight? Do you think that it really works? And he said, yes, I do. He said, I, uh, you know, hypnosis has been around for centuries. It's been used in a number of medical applications as well as scientific. He said, take the trip to Portland one of these days that you go up to the apartment 
just stop and make an appointment and check it out. It's not going to hurt. It's not invasive. It's no medication. You don't have to do a special diet. Check it out. It's worth the try. I said, you're right. So I drove up there and I made an appointment. I love what I heard. I signed up and three months later I had lost the 25 pounds. But what was so amazing to me was the transformation that I made within my own head. Because hypnosis allowed me to start to feel good about myself, to realize that good people make mistakes, and that I was capable of forgiving myself. Forgiveness was the key. If I could forgive myself, I could get past all this. And I worked on that in hypnosis. I worked on obviously losing the weight, on being a more positive person, on being a happier person, on looking at things, the glass half full as opposed to half empty. And three months later, I finished the program, and I was so taken by this process that I then signed up and went to school in Portland to become a certified hypnotist. And I finished that program in eight months and got my certification, and then I looked into buying a franchise, a Positive Changes franchise to bring to Tucson, because I figured if it helped me, if it helps anybody half as much as it helped me, it's an amazing thing. And that's why I'm even able to tell you the story today, because I couldn't even talk about what happened to me without bursting into tears and just being sick to my stomach. And now I talk about it because I realize that the worst thing that ever happened to me ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. And that is such an, an incredible story and about how you really used all of your resources, and I'm not talking financially, that's you know right. another nice resource, but all your internal resources, all the things that were strong about you and are strong about you in the first place and reassembled life based on those new belief systems that got to, you know, um, mercifully intervene in your process. And And also that helped you. It was a tool that transformed your, your life. Right? It was a tool. Yeah. You couldn't have done it on your own. Maybe it would have taken you 10, 20 years. But here was yeah. a tool that came into your life, and you used it not only to help yourself, but now you are bringing it here to Tucson. Yes, connecting yeah. with your mission, just reconnecting with your mission. Right. Imagine the possibilities. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Dr. Andrea, Jennifer, and Bibi. Your Boom Goddesses, signing off. Each voice of wisdom shares ripples out into our universe and inspires so many others. Namaste. For technical reasons, portions of this program have been pre-recorded.